0: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Major development plans by Squamish First Na- by the Squamish First Nation for the area around the south end of the Burrard Street Bridge have now doubled in
0: size and scope. Check out a live shot from Global One right now showing the parcel of land that will now include up to 11 condo towers with as many as 6,000 units, most of them rentals. Ted Chernecki has more on how the ambitious project will come together and community reaction.
2: A totem pole near where once stood the Squamish village of Sanok. In 1913, the government of the day put all the villagers on a barge, shipped them to the North Shore, and burned their homes so Vancouver could expand. In 2002, Squamish Nation fought and recovered some of its land, and now it is the developer. Our community has seen very little benefit to the massive development that's happened on our lands. And so I think there's a reasonable expectation from our people that we want to pursue development that is sustainable and smart and good for the community, um, but we also want to start seeing some development that benefits our community as well. Squamish Nation is a 50-50 partner with West Bank, the same developer putting the final touches on this high-rise near Granville Street. The tallest of the 11 towers proposed for the south end of Burrard Bridge is about the same height as Vancouver House. Squamish Nation had originally suggested 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 3,000 units could be built here now that's doubled to 6,000. People might hear things like 11 towers and 6,000 units but they might not really understand what that looks like or what that feels like and so as we go out to the public and start to engage on some of the design concepts and show really where it is that it's going to be located what it's going to look like what it's going to feel like people might have a better sense of actually how not shocking it is. This being reserved land, Squamish doesn't have to hold public consultations at all. In fact, the city of Vancouver will have virtually no say in what gets built here. It's good for the Squamish nation in terms of uh, establishing roots back in a traditional
3: community, provides housing, revenue sources, but it brings a lot of rental housing to the city.
2: The vast majority of the 6,000 units will be rentals and this will be a very public transit oriented project with only 10% of the units having a parking stall.
3: I'm all for it. I just hope that the building the infrastructure to go with it. Yeah. Uh, schools, were already over capacity at the local school here. The, the huge condos they have along Falls Creek on the north side
2: and this is just another extension of it. Squamish members must still approve of the project in a referendum on December 10th. Ted Shernacki, Global News.
1: Now to the transit strike, more C bus cancellations today, all affecting the afternoon rush and with seemingly no plans at this point to get back to the bargaining table, passengers are bracing for the situation to get worse. Our Katherine Urquhart is live with more on the impact, which is expected to spread to buses next for a couple of reasons.
4: Catherine. Thanks, Sophie. Well, he- we're here at the CBUS terminal in North Vancouver and CBUS has been hardest hit, at least so far. Today, six sailings were cancelled. Over the past five days, more than 40 sailings have been cancelled and tomorrow 14 will be cancelled. Eight in the morning and six in the afternoon. Also, an overtime ban for mechanics means that bus disruptions could start as early as tomorrow. Now, today the Premier weighed in as well as TransLink CEO, Kevin
3: Desmond. Right now, it's, it's just bus, And if it goes further, we start affecting the lives of the people who rely on transit every day, which is why I, I'm just appealing for the Union and Coast Mountain Bus Company. Let's get back to negotiating. There's a deal to be made at the end of the day. And no matter how this, this dispute plays out, whether it plays out tomorrow or, or some weeks from now, there's going to be a deal made. Let's figure out how to get to, de- get to the deal. Uh, and not inconvenience and harm um, uh, people who are trying to get to work, get to school and so forth on our transit system. I believe that uh, collective bargaining uh, should run its course. Uh, We're not, we have no plans to interfere in that. Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, resolution can be found quickly for the traveling public. Uh, But at this point, uh, there's not a role for the province to play.
1: At this point. Well, Catherine, do we know, is there any hope at all right now of getting those talks back
4: on track? Well, Sophie, minutes ago we heard from the union as well as management. They both say right now no new talks are planned. So for now at least, this labor dispute continues. Back to you. All right, we'll see how it progresses. Thanks for that, Catherine.
0: Vancouver City Council voted on a fireworks ban. We'll have more coverage of that coming up in just a moment. But right now they approved the rezoning application for the site of the new St. Paul's Hospital as well. The approval enables Providence Healthcare to move forward with plans for a new health campus at 1002 Station Street in the False Creek Flats area. The new location will include a 548 bed acute care hospital, an outpatient center, a clinical support and research center, a public plaza and wellness walk, new roads, and a daycare, all expected to open in 2026.
1: A new poll done exclusively for Global News shows the majority of Canadians think our country is more divided than ever. Keith Baldry joins us to break down the numbers. Keith, what do they tell us?
5: Yeah, that division was rather apparent in that bruising election campaign we just came out of, uh, Sophie. So we got our pollster, Ipsos, to test public opinion on just post-election how divided are we in terms of where we think the country is headed. And not surprisingly, uh, Ipsos found that a majority of Canadians do think the country is uh, seriously divided, 59%. But it it changes when you look at individual provinces. It's it's really uh, a sentiment uh, most notable in Alberta and Saskatchewan with almost 80% there. BC is more in lines with Manitoba. And on and the rest of the country, a slight majority there on separation, a more serious issue. Alberta, thirty-three percent say they'd like to separate. That's up eight points from a year ago And Saskatchewan, close behind, up nine points. We caught up with our pollster, Cal uh, Brady, who makes the point: when it comes to separation and feelings of alienation, Alberta and Saskatchewan really stand out.
6: It's really just two provinces that stand out, and a lot of the other. Uh... Uh, Canadians' attitudes towards division is reflecting what they see in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So it's largely about oil, it's largely about pipelines, it's largely about the uh, treatment of the energy sector, and it's largely about uh, the way that Albertans and Saskatchewan residents feel misunderstood, ignored and isolated.
5: So don't expect those feelings of uh, uh, alienation to disp- disappear anytime soon. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moore, really fanning the flames in terms of really turning up the anger at Ottawa, at least until that TMX pipeline mm-hmm. is built, should it ever actually get to that, uh, that stage. Thank you,
1: Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Now, on the subject of pipelines, a small group of activists shut down part of the port of Vancouver, Washington today for several hours. The activists climbed up and chained themselves on the dock where a shipment of pipeline meant for the Trans Mountain Expansion Project was set to be offloaded before being transported to B.C. 25 kayak activists were also in the surrounding water rallying behind the climbers. After several hours, the protesters were peacefully removed and taken into custody.
0: More water woes tonight following a year-long investigation by more than 120 journalists, including from Global News. The conclusion, hundreds of thousands of Canadians could be consuming tap water laced with high levels of lead leaching from aging infrastructure and plumbing. And while some provinces have a protocol in place for testing, Aaron MacArthur explains why some feel B.C.'s testing doesn't measure up. Drinking water
7: at Trula O'Hare's home, a little awkward to come by. She fills up kettles in the bathroom. She won't use the kitchen tap anymore.
8: I have to come in here. Well, a couple times a day, I'll fill up the kettle.
7: O'Hare's water was tested by UBC journalism students. Results from when she first turns the taps on higher than Health Canada recommendations. The readings diminish as the stagnant water is flushed from the pipes. But it points to a problem in Vancouver and across the province. Older homes with ageing plumbing that can leach lead. Of course I'm concerned. I didn't even know about it until last year. B.C. doesn't test for lead in people's homes. The provincial government utilizes health officials to monitor for lead instead at the source. Ontario mandates cities test at the tap. It's a measure the B.C. government is considering in light of recent results. Three of 15 homes tested in Vancouver exceeded Health Canada limits.
2: The challenge is to ensure that people are informed, that they know if there are risks in the short term, because they've got lead pipes and other things, that they know how to deal with those risks and how to mitigate those risks. City governments have a
7: role to play here as well. Older infrastructure is being replaced, and in Metro Vancouver, anti-corrosive measures have been used since the mid-1990s. The mayor of Vancouver confident the right steps are being taken.
3: When I talk to my colleagues from Toronto and Montreal that are working with sewer systems that are hundreds of years old, uh, we're in actually pretty good shape here.
7: But more needs to be done. The Auditor General weighing in on BC's infrastructure in July, saying the actions taken to address risks are inadequate and there is no comprehensive strategy to protect BC's drinking water supply. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
0: Right now, though, breaking news from the city of Vancouver. Council voting late this afternoon to ban the sale and use of consumer fireworks in the city.
1: It's just the latest municipality in the province to make the move. And while there are strong opinions on both sides of the debate, as Nadia Stewart reports, supporters say it will prevent injuries and save hundreds of thousands of
9: dollars in damages every year. Vancouver City Council voting in favour of a fireworks ban. Only three council members were opposed. That includes the mayor. In a ban not everyone is convinced will be effective. This new change means a complete ban on fireworks. The only exception are specific public events and celebrations, such as New Year's or Diwali and the Honda Celebration of Light. Two councillors said the move is a bad one for the city, taking it backwards. Retailers are concerned residents will now resort to other means to access fireworks.
6: The people will still buy them online and they'll find different places to get them. So for me, we're now going to be spending money going around trying to ban people or stop kids from lighting off fireworks or a family from doing it in the backyard when we have really critical issues in the Vancouver that we should be focusing on.
4: The ability to want to use them for Halloween will not go away. We just now can't educate at point of sale through our school systems anywhere else and we're very upset with this outcome.
9: The Vancouver Fire Rescue Services says the city incurred over $350,000 in damages this year between the financial cost and the impact on human life, property damage, as well as critical life-altering injuries. They say the ban is the right step.
5: It's become clear that year after year, uh, the amount of damage that's incurred, the number of injuries that's incurred, the costs incurred to the department are, are just too much to support this system.
9: It will be some time before the ban comes into effect. Vancouver Fire Rescue Services and city staff will work together to develop the wording of the bylaw, and then there's the conversation around enforcement. Don't look for the ban to come into effect until 2021. Nadia your Global News.
1: And M- the dangers of fireworks fire investigators now confirm this apartment fire in surrey at 150th street near 106th avenue halloween night was likely caused by fireworks six units were damaged or destroyed our cmp are investigating the sale and discharge of fireworks is banned in surrey without a federal fireworks permit
0: All right, now to that shocking scene for mall patrons in Richmond. A driverless Tesla on the wrong side of the road attempting to navigate around a parking lot and into a parkade where its owner was waiting.
1: As Grace Key reports, the new Smart Summon feature is being tested by the automaker and it's raising all kinds of questions from safety concerns to whether it's even legal.
10: This caused plenty of heads to turn at the Richmond Center parking lot on Monday. Not only is the Tesla on the wrong side of the road, but if you look closely, there's no driver inside. I want driverless cars to happen, but that freaked me out.
4: The safety-wise, it's just that's ridiculous. I
10: think it's a
11: great idea, yeah. Sure, yeah. Wonderful. But like all things, you gotta get the kinks out.
7: And it's driving on the wrong side of the road.
10: It's believed to be part of the electric vehicle's new Smart Summon feature. Introduced in October, it's getting plenty of play on social media with eager owners ready to try out the new command, but not always with success. <sighs> oh, my God.
1: So we open the app, we go to Summon.
10: Our own Sophie Louie demonstrated the feature on her Tesla.
1: So I have to keep right. holding the button to make it move, and if I... Let go of the button. It stops. It's supposed oh my God. to stop. That's Squire's car.
10: You can summon the car from about 200 feet away for it to pull up right next to you. As for insurance, ICBC says provincial laws do not permit driverless vehicles on our roads. Adding the driver is responsible for the operation of the vehicle, including when the driver assistance is activated. If an accident had occurred in Richmond, the vehicle owner's insurance may not have provided coverage.
4: In order to ticket somebody for a self-driving car incident, the police would have to use a little bit of creativity.
10: Though it can take time for the law to catch up with technology, one lawyer says police still have options.
4: The Motor Vehicle Act has a provision that makes the owner liable for anything the vehicle does and so the police will have to rely on provisions under the Motor Vehicle Act to ticket the owner as opposed to the driver.
10: And with more than half a million users test driving this new technology in the first few days, get used to seeing more people summoning their vehicles in parking lots. It's okay. Grace Key, Global News. The Victoria SPCA is looking for the public's help
1: to care for a three month old puppy that was hit by a car.
0: Mays suffered four broken bones in her pelvis and hips, along with a number of abrasions on her skin caused by road rash. They say she'll need about three months to recover from her surgery, and the cost of care, including physiotherapy, spaying and vaccinations, is expected to top $12,000.
1: A Salt Spring Island couple is taking a plunge and venturing into a new market for B.C. agriculture.
0: As Kylie Stanton reports, they're the first in Canada to establish an olive orchard, hoping to make a business out of its green gold.
12: It's an exercise in patience, collecting the fruit one piece at a time It's special, I think we are lucky to eventually harvest the grove. Beautiful This 73 acre farm here on Salt Spring Island has the odds stacked against it Too much water, not enough
10: sunshine, not enough warmth not not a long enough growing season basically
12: But that hasn't stopped Sherry and George Braun from pursuing their dreams You know olives weren't
10: meant to be grown in Canada so far but we're hoping to prove that theory wrong.
12: The couple first began planting seven years ago. But it's not only the crop that sets them apart, it's what they do with it.
3: This is the first commercial olive grove and mill in Canada.
12: Now in their third harvest, they've picked 2,550 pounds of fruit in hopes of making just 75 liters of
3: olive oil, it goes into the hammer mill, and there it gets uh, crushed up into pulp. Then we malax it, uh, mix it up for about an hour and a half, and then it gets pumped into the uh, decanter. It goes into the centrifuge, and then the oil spouts out.
12: It's a rare and therefore expensive product. The 200-milliliter bottles sell for $75 a piece and are only made available to local chefs or direct from the farm.
10: And we have a long wait list of clients that are waiting because we get a very small amount of produce, right, so far.
12: But in this case, a little goes a long way.
3: It's very
4: good.
12: The hope is to build on the success. Each year, increasing the quantity of olives and oil press. A long-term project that comes with a lot of risk, balanced with faith. And of course, patience.
3: You get hooked on something, I guess is what it boils down to. You get hooked on it, then you want to follow through. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Two massive fires
0: burned through a shopping complex in the Nigerian city of Lagos. One fire engulfing the top floor of a popular market. Some residents of an adjoining building threw whatever they could out the windows, while others on the rooftops tried to put out the raging flames with buckets of water. Firefighters struggled to get their trucks through the streets packed with onlookers. No word tonight on any casualties or on the cause of the fire.
1: Shockwaves across North America tonight after three women and six children All U.S. citizens were slaughtered by drug cartel gunmen in Mexico.
0: The Mexican government says the attackers might have mistaken the Americans' three large SUVs for those of rival gangs. Nita and four of my
13: grandchildren are burnt and shot up. It was a bloodbath south of the border. At least nine Americans, including six children, slaughtered in the Mexican state of Sonora. Right on the road out of La Morda. The family traveling in 3 vehicles was ambushed by gunmen believed to be local cartel, but it's unclear if the attack was targeted or a case of mistaken identity. 5 were injured, several airlifted to Arizona. Witnesses describe a terrifying scene, a child shot in the back, babies trapped in a burning car. Among the dead, 30-year-old Ronita Miller and her four children, including eight-month-old twins. 13-year-old Devin Langford survived the attack, then walked 14 miles to get help.
8: It was awful seeing the baby's little skulls just sitting there on the floor of the car burnt and broken the
13: victims are all american citizens living in northern mexico descendants of mormon settlers that moved to the area decades ago
6: this is a whole new level of cartel violence
13: the brutal attack comes in a year marked by deadly violence in the region just weeks ago cartel gunmen stormed the city of culiacan killing eight, injuring 20 more, the siege forcing the government to release the son of infamous drug lord El Chapo Guzman, who had been captured. President Trump tweeting today, this is the time for Mexico, with the help of the United States, to wage war on the drug cartels. President Trump later spoke with the Mexican president. Both condemned the attack, the U.S. offering assistance to ensure the perpetrators face justice. Tonight, Mexican authorities continue to work the chaotic scene, looking for the gunman who slaughtered three American mothers and their six children. Tonight, officials at this Tucson hospital where the survivors were airlifted are being incredibly guarded. They will not release any information on their conditions.
0: Another big development tonight in the impeachment inquiry focusing on Donald Trump's dealings with Ukraine.
1: A key witness has changed his testimony about whether American military aid to Ukraine was used
8: by the president to advance his own political goals. Tonight, in a major reversal, Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, now says there was a quid pro quo with Ukraine over military aid. Sunland first testified he was not aware of one, but the former Trump donor updated his testimony this week with a three-page written statement saying his memory had been refreshed after other witnesses contradicted him. Nearly six weeks after that July phone call between President Trump and Ukraine's leader, Sunland says he remembers telling a top Ukrainian official that Ukraine would not get military aid until it committed to investigating the 2016 campaign and the Bidens. Sundland does not directly tie President Trump to the effort. He describes a phone call where he asked the president whether the White House was withholding military aid to get investigations. sunlin says Mr. Trump told him, I want no quid pro quo. I want the president of Ukraine to do the right thing. Sunlin says, I wouldn't say he hung up on me, but it was almost like he hung up on me. But Sondland describes the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, as pushing for the probes, telling lawmakers Mr. Giuliani's demands kept getting more insidious as the timeline went on, adding State Department officials were fully aware of the issues with Mr. Giuliani, but there was very little they could do about it if the president decided he wanted his lawyer involved. Swift reaction from Democrats.
13: The president of the United States abused his power. Everything you're seeing in this transcript Fills in details.
8: But in other transcripts released today, former special envoy to Ukraine Kurt Volker said he saw no evidence the president wanted to withhold a White House meeting unless Ukraine launched investigations. The answer to the question is no, Volker said there was no linkage. Though Volker called Giuliani's actions a problem that impeded U.S. officials' ability to build the relationship the way we should be doing with Ukraine. But the White House says the transcripts show there is even less evidence for this illegitimate impeachment sham than previous thought. Highlighting Sondland's admission, he does not know when, why, or by whom the aid was suspended. President Trump blasted Democrats overnight. While we are creating jobs and killing terrorists, the radical Democrats
11: are going totally insane.
1: Caught on video, a Boston man's ill-advised attempt to stop his car from being
0: stolen. Surveillance video shows the man walking towards a building before turning and sprinting back towards the street. After stumbling down some stairs, he jumps up and leaps onto the hood of his car as the driver speeds away. A few moments later, it's not clear if the driver is still on the car, it slams into some parked cars. The car's owner was taken to hospital, but with non-life-threatening injuries, the suspected thief got away.
1: In Health Matters tonight, St. John Ambulance has launched a new pilot program aimed at saving lives. The organization has unveiled its first publicly accessible automated external defibrillators, one at Oak Ridge Center and one in Surrey. The AED station will be kept unlocked and will be accessible 24-7. The cabinet will also contain a naloxone kit. Experts say CPR paired with an electric shock from an AED can increase the chance of surviving a cardiac arrest by 90%.
7: That's what I hear all the time is, you know, if we have AEDs that are accessible outdoors, that they're going to be stolen. But actually, we know from other countries such as Europe, uh, Australia, um, definitely in England, that they have publicly accessible AEDs and they're not being stolen. The risk level is actually quite low.
1: St. John Ambulance says it would eventually like to see hundreds of public AEDs across B.C., including in provincial parks and playgrounds.
0: A new BC study suggests cannabis might help improve treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Researchers from UBC and the BC Center for Substance Use analyzed data from more than 24,000 Canadians with PTSD, and they found that those who didn't use cannabis were more likely to suffer from depression or have suicidal thoughts. Researchers say the results suggest that cannabis may have therapeutic benefits for those with PTSD but they do warn further studies are needed. And new UBC research says birth control might be out of reach for many women. The study found that young, low-income women in Canada are much less likely to use the pill simply because they can't afford it. Canada is one of the only countries with universal health care that does not also have universal access to contraception. Six rare fossils found in B.C. and Washington state have now become part of the official archeological record of our region.
1: Linda Ailsworth tells us why they now have scientific names and what that means for the study of
14: BC's prehistoric past.
11: Here's a good example.
14: Dr. Bruce Archibald is a paleoentomologist. Oh, I think
11: this is an earwig.
14: He studies ancient insect fossils. The perfect combination of two childhood fascinations. One being insects.
11: I was completely knocked out by how great they are.
14: The other fossils.
11: The thing that impressed me was that they're real. They're not made up. They're not like dragons or fantasy things.
14: That he chose to research insects over dinosaurs makes him a member of a very exclusive club.
11: There are not very many of us. That's correct. In North America, I think we could all fit into an elevator without uh, bumping elbows.
14: When he's not at Simon Fraser University, Dr. Archibald is often in B.C.'s interior, in places like Cache Creek, where there's plenty to keep him busy. When
11: you're out in the field and you're splitting the rock, you never know what you're going to find. That's I call it like scratch and win in uh, three weeks I think I found something like 300 new species something like that here's a beautiful wing
14: but it's the fossil of a 53 million year old dragonfly that's his greatest find
11: well it was great to find a fossil dragonfly because they're actually quite rare
14: He went on to find more dragonfly fossils not in the field but at various museums
11: and they go oh yeah we need someone to work on them here come over here and look at these
14: not only did he look he identified eight previously unknown species six of them well enough preserved to be given scientific names none of them his name
11: well people don't name things after themselves that'd be kind of weird you know let's see what's over here
14: his reward the joy that comes from doing what you love
11: it's wonderful to be able to go out to a uh, basically a, a huge understudied region and, and be participate in what's essentially the golden age of discovery, which is what it still is for fossil insects. Let's see who's over on this guy. Anyone charismatic? Plus it's fun, it's scratch and win all the time.
14: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
0: Fossil, wow. scratch and win, wow.
14: A couple of
1: sheriff's deputies in California are confronted with a dicey rescue of a dangerous local known as T-Shirt why they were more than a bit nervous after the
0: forecast. All right, let's bring Christy in now with a look at uh, what to expect as we head into midweek. Christy.
15: Chris, so an eerie start to the day in Pitt Meadows, as you can see here. Yes, a fair amount of fog, but it lifted and we were left with a more cloudy day with a low-level cloud, but that wasn't the case in Seattle where the fog certainly did linger. You can barely see the space needle there. Now, uh, we are going to continue with this trend. We saw the skies clear at about 4 this afternoon. We may see a bit of fog overnight, but we've got Arctic outflow that's going to establish tomorrow and that will help to clear everything out. So, sunshine expected after a possibility of a bit of fog in the morning but it shouldn't last long and that should also help the air quality. It has been low but that should clear things out if you did see a bit of haze today uh, that Arctic outflow should. Now here's the reason why we've got this strong Arctic front that's going to drop down across the region. High pressure inland forces that air out towards the coast causing that outflow. Uh, It's only going to last one day that cold Arctic air across the region before we start to see a change with a pulse of moisture from the west increasing the temperatures and bringing in that rain fall so here's your forecast for tomorrow inland regions cold but sunny you will see moisture push onto the west coast, um, the north coast I should say by the end of the day and then spreading into inland regions by Thursday morning in the form of snow initially these areas sunny but dry and below seasonal for this time of year and at the, across the south coast we'll see near seasonal value so not bad and once that sun comes out tomorrow we'll enjoy the warmth in the sunshine but as we head towards our Thursday and Friday we are expecting a bit more cloud with breaks of blue sky towards the end of the day, and there's some uncertainty in our weekend forecast, everyone. At this point, calling for mainly dry conditions, but there is a chance of rain. There's a lot of uncertainty around, so tune back in as we get closer to the weekend, and we'll refine that forecast. I have two weather windows for you tonight. I couldn't uh, pass up on these both. This guy guy looks like he's sucking his thumb, first of all. He's taking a nap on the rock there, and then this gorgeous shot of the snow geese just before they're about to fly.
1: They'll need a nap after that. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks, Christy. A couple of sheriff's deputies in Placer County, California, knew they had their work cut out for them when they were called out to rescue a well-known offender nicknamed (laughs) (laughs) T-Shirt.
0: Turns out T-Shirt is a very large bear that had become stuck in a dumpster. He's had prior run-ins with deputies who named him T-Shirt because of a patch of white fur on his chest. After using a stick to unhook the safety chain, one officer quickly raised one side of the dumpster lid, and T-shirt was able to do the rest. There we go. gonna
2: come
16: out. Oh, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. Come on,
0: Good boy. Good boy. Go. <laughs> t Massive. He's been eating well yeah. in those dumpsters, sadly. <laughs> He's
1: going to need a shower I think before so. he goes
16: to sleep. For the <laughs> oh, my. All right, Squire, how are you? I always wonder when they go to sleep for the winter and they talk to each other. When are you getting up? I'm going to set my alarm for March. What about you? Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to sleep until April. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> what how that about that uh, works?
15: Mother A father's dream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is this going to be bad for the Cowboys? If you're superstitious some pretty good moves on display at Midlife Stadium in New Jersey last night during Monday Night Football as a black cat got onto the field during the Cowboys Giants game play was held up for a minute or so and the crowd cheered when the cat scored a touchdown before police and others were finally able to hurt it out. Oh, there he goes.
16: Ladies
5: and gentlemen Felix has left the
16: building. It was actually bad luck for the Giants. It was a lot Everything of bad luck. Everything turned around after that. It wasn't the Cowboys who got the bad luck. It's oh. true. There's a video from years ago when the uh, kingdom was around mm-hmm. and a cat got on the field and some guy had to try to take the cat off the field. Oh, oh no. he had a bad day. The oh, no. yeah, cat got the best of him. Uh, the Canucks lost their first two games in October and everyone was saying, oh, here we go again. And then they were pretty much the winningest team in the league after that. And there were a lot of reasons for that. But basically, their best players have been their best players. I know it's an old cliche, but you need it. Uh, If you were handing out grades for all the players in October, nobody would get a bad grade, I think. But there'd be a lot of A's. Bo Horvat would get an A. The entire first line would get an A. I'd say Quinn Hughes, Alex Edler, Chris Tanev get A's. Both goalies, and this might be the most important thing, get A's. They've been getting scoring from everywhere. Brandon Sutter, five goals. Jake Virtanen four. Tim Schaller, four goals. He didn't have four goals in warm-up last year. Every forward except Louis Erickson and Tyler Mott have scored. But for all the scoring they have done in the first month, perhaps their most impressive numbers have been on defense. If I'm not very much mistaken, only one team scored more than three goals against the Canucks in a game, and that was Washington, who got three goals, three, in the final period.
2: A lot of our success offensively has come from just playing really good defensively. Um, obviously, we have to bury our chances when we can, but I think uh, our our defensive play right now is fueling our, our offense, and I think that's why we've been so successful, and we got to keep that going.
3: Keeping it going is the Canucks' biggest challenge here in the month of November, beginning tonight against the defending Stanley Cup champs. Vancouver has 13 games in front of them, and of the 13, all but three of those games are against teams that they're going to either have to battle alongside or beat out for a playoff spot come April. And as we've witnessed, the Canucks are looking more than capable of doing that given the performances of everybody in their lineup. You get every line scoring goals and it's uh, that's huge. Uh, you look at good teams like seem team like we're playing St. Louis uh, in the playoffs. They get scoring from all four lines and and we've really had that uh, in big games this year too against good teams. So, um, hopefully like I said continue that along and, and uh, not uh, not get ahead of ourselves here and, and uh, just really keep pushing and keep trying to get better. Miller's Rob, Henderson scores. Heading into the season, we all knew who'd be scoring for the Canucks. The dynamic duo of Elias Pettersson and Brock Bess are currently 1-2 in team scoring. Except they're not alone when it comes to finding the score sheet. With the exception of Louis Erickson, every Canucks forward has at least a goal. And every defenseman, with the exception of recently recalled Ashton Sautner, has at least a point. This is a Canucks team that's taking it to the opposition night in
5: and night out. Well, I've been on both sides of that, and when you're chasing, you're spending all your time, all your energy doing that, and then you have no energy for offense, and then you tend to cheat in your game just because you're tired, and I think we're doing that to a lot of teams right now, where we're, they're chasing us, and you know, if they have to spend 20 seconds in their own end, the chances are they're not going to have enough energy to go play in the offensive zone, and you know, we seem to be doing a good job of taking care of our end, getting pucks deep, and making them earn 200 feet of ice, not 100 feet of ice, or 80 feet of ice, so it's a... (laughs) Doing a lot of good things right now. Um, we've got four
2: solid lines that can put the puck in the net and, and play well and and jump up anywhere in our lineup. And I think we've we've locked that in the past years, and, and now we have that, uh, that depth to carry us through.
16: Well, tonight the Canucks will play the Blues, and they'll do it with Quinn Hughes. He did turn his ankle last Friday against Anaheim, but it wasn't his ankle he hurt. It was actually his knee. He uh, didn't play Saturday in San Jose, but was out practicing today. He will play tonight. He says he knew the injury wasn't serious and never worried he'd miss too much time.
6: Uh, like a couple hours after the game when doctors were doing all their tests and I think that was like the biggest thing right when it happened and I like felt a lot of pain in my knee. Like it was kind of a little bit of a scare because you don't know what that could be. But um, yeah, it's it's all good and <laughs> pretty fortunate.
2: Did you want to play Saturday or did you understand Saturday?
6: Um... I think I wanted to go back in Friday, but it was just best that that didn't happen. And then it kind of got really sore Saturday. And I think I understood that the best decision was to kind of just sit it out.
16: This is Zdeno Chara's 1,500th NHL game. Don't forget, at one time, he was a Prince George Cougar. Uh, David Pasternak with another power play goal. He has nine. That leads the NHL 1-1 in the first period. But then the Canadians. Along the boards for Gallagher to talk. Two on one. Thomas Tatar, Elabou. And then 31 seconds later, and this is not offside. Watch the puck almost comes out. Paul Byron gets it. Paul Byron scores. Starting the third period, Montreal has a one goal lead. Last night, Lions coach Devon Claybrooks met with GM Ed Hervey. Consider it like a performance evaluation. Uh, Talking to people around the Lions, there is no consensus as to whether they will keep Clay Brooks or not as the head coach. Some say maybe he'll be fired, others say no, he'll get another chance. Whatever it is, we should know before the week is out. We do know Cam Newton is out the rest of the year with a foot injury that just won't heal quickly enough. At one time, this news would have been devastating for Carolina, but Newton has lost the last eight games he has played and he's not the player he used to be. He was a former NFL MVP, but... That seems like a long time ago. He is third in all-time rushing yards for a quarterback and has 50 rushing TDs, which is the most ever for a QB. Well, we end with sad news. Eli Pasquale died from cancer at the age of 59. He was not only one of Canada's most talented basketball players ever, but he was really a pioneer in the sport in many ways. He was an NBA draft pick of the old Seattle Supersonics, played mostly, though, as a pro in South America and Europe, and many times for Canada's national team, he is a B.C. Sports Hall of Fame member, Canadian Basketball Hall of Fame member. And if you ask people like Steve Nash or Jay Triano about Eli Pasquale, they will say he was someone that they very much looked up to.
1: Well, ask just about any employee anywhere if they'd like to switch to a four-day work week, and you can imagine the response.
0: But a growing number of companies are also discovering it can be very good for their bottom line. Erin McCoy crams a lot into her 40-hour-a-week job, but she does it in four
6: days, not five. Every weekend is three days long, time for friends, hiking, and family.
9: When I come back, I just feel so much more refreshed and ready for the work week than I have at other jobs where it was five days a week.
6: Graphic designer Killer Visual Strategies switched to four-day work weeks five years ago after noticing productivity plunged on Fridays. Since the change, a turnaround. Productivity is up 20 percent. Employees choose whether to take Mondays or
13: Fridays off. Our goal was really focusing on bringing down that uh, burnout and that stress, but We we really weren't expecting to see such a boost in productivity.
6: Nationwide, 17% of employers offer the chance to compress the work week, squeezing the same number of hours into fewer days. When Microsoft tried a four-day work week in Japan, productivity jumped 40%. The big benefits say the hiring pros. The four-day week helps cut the stress from the 24-7 environment so many people work in, expected to be just an email, a phone call, or a text away. And says killer strategies, as companies struggle to find qualified employees amid low unemployment, its employees are staying much longer, finding a new work-life
0: balance. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. There's just no there's just no way to do the Monday to Friday news hour in four days. How about
1: we do it Monday to Thursday? Monday, yes. I'd be all for that. <laughs> or even like Sunday to Wednesday. You know, right?
16: Maybe you're on the subject. A lot happens on Monday and Tuesday, though.
0: Happy to be here tonight and every night, viewers. (laughs) Talk to you later. Have a good night, all. (laughs)